We are in Daniel chapter 9 this morning. We've got the last four verses starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. And for your holy city. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand. That from the going forth of the command. To restore and build Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seventy weeks. And sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again. And the wall even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with flood. Until the end of the war, desolation are determined. Then he shall conform, confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Father God, we just praise you and bless your holy name. Thank you for your countless blessing, Lord God. Thank you for loving us. I just want to lift up this morning, Lord God, Elaine Prost. I pray for a speedy recovery. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you uh, would use Jackie as a conduit for your mercy, your love, and your truth. And may your mercy, your love, and truth, Lord God, penetrate our innermost being, and that it may conform us more and more into the image of your precious Son, in whose precious and holy name we pray these things this morning. Amen. Well, this is it. The last day of Daniel 9. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> As we... Uh, been a couple weeks since we've been together, so we'll do a, a quick review for folks who haven't been with us for the last nine weeks. We've been <laughs> trying to get through Daniel chapter 9. But as we look at the, the, the prophecy of the 77s, There's a lot of important things we want to be able to hold on to. Because a lot of our eschatology, our understanding of end things, end times, the study of end times, a lot of our eschatology comes out of Daniel. It's understanding Daniel 7. It's understanding Daniel 9 and on 10 and 11 and 12. As we look at all that Daniel has to say, that helps us when we look in the book of Revelation and we say the things that we're going to say as we work our way through Revelation, it's based out of our understanding in Daniel. So, Shabuim Shabuah, 77s are determined for who? Israel, right? So the 77s are not about Gentiles, folks. So for the most part, you and I are Gentiles. You're right. So this is about Israel. It's about Jerusalem. This is about the temple. And we see three causes behind the prophecy that he gives in verse 24. First, the sovereignty of God. Remember, 77s are what? Determined. 
That's, is it iffy? It might happen, it might not happen, it could happen. No, determine. God said it, that's how it's going to be. It's kind of like Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light. Light wasn't hanging around wondering whether or not it was going to answer what God said. You with me? So, there are things in the Word of God that God has determined. This is one of those things. Seventy-seven. Seventy prophetic periods of time. Seven sevens, like a, if you want to think of a Shabuim, like a decade. Like a Hepstad. We look at things in ten-year intervals. This is looking at things in seven-year intervals. So three things. The sovereignty of God. It's going to deal with the sins of the people. And it's going to deal with setting up the kingdom. Remember when we started Daniel? All the way back in Daniel chapter 1. You got Daniel <clears throat> setting his heart fully and completely to God. You remember? And then all of a sudden in chapter 2, already we're, we're, de- we're dealing with a dream. Remember the dream statue? Four kingdoms. Every one of those kingdoms was passing away, right? But at the, end of the, at the end of the dream, you remember there was a stone. We sing a song called Jesus is the Cornerstone, right? What do you think that's based on? There's a stone, not cut out with hands, that just appears, comes out of the heavens, hits the statue in the feet, because it has feet of clay. Remember every government? You met a government yet that don't have feet of clay? Yeah, they all got feet of clay. They're all passing away. But the Lord... When he comes, when he sets up his kingdom, all the kingdoms of the world are going to be obliterated and God's going to set up that kingdom. So those three things, the sovereignty of God, he's going to deal with the sins of the people and the setting up of his kingdom. That's what this, these four verses are all about. When we talk about the sins of the people, there were three things. He's going to finish the transgression. That phrase, to finish the transgression, means he's going to put an end to the rebellion of Israel. Now this is going to be important today that you understand. Israel rebelled, rebelled, rebelled against God. And so God hardened Israel's heart. And when Messiah came, what happened? They couldn't see Him. You remember? Well now we find ourselves in a time of the Gentiles. And if there are Gentiles, if there are people in the world today who hear the gospel and harden their heart and harden their heart and harden their heart against the gospel, we're going to read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God's going to do the same thing to them. Which means the tribulation period is no second chance. If you rejected the gospel prior to the tribulation period, God says you're going to be under strong delusion to believe the lie. Just like Israel... Remember, Paul warns us in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He says, look, if the grafting in, the cutting off of the natural olive branch, and the grafting in of the unnatural, Gentiles coming in to the plan of God, Jews being removed, at least uh, uh, in a sense, uh, um, corporately, nationally, then if that amounts for our salvation, how much more when God brings the natural back in? How much more when Israel recognizes who her Messiah is, corporately, what's that going to bring into the world? That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 11. Well, part of the 70 weeks, God's going to end rebellion. Rebellion's going to end. Trust me, you'll be out of rebellion when you look in Jesus' face. There's more than one way. Hopefully, it's in the way where he's hugging you and saying, welcome home. And not in the way where you're going, oh my gosh, you're real. But it don't matter, because the Bible's very clear, both ways, what happens? How many knees? Every knee does what? Bow. 
bows. All. Right? So he's going to put an end to the rebellion. He's going to make an end of sin. That means he's going to judge the sin of Israel. That's what that last seven is all about, we're going to look at. And then he's going to make a reconciliation for iniquity. He did that by the cross. He did that in the first 69 sevens. He's going to make reconciliation. How is it that man, sinful man is able to stand before a holy and just God? Jesus Christ saves us from what? From the wrath of God. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. The wrath of God against sin. That's what we're saved from. Apart from Jesus, we stand on our own before a holy and just God. That's a bad thing. Because we're not good. Right? The Bible's pretty clear. There is none that does good, no, not one. That's, that's, that pretty much sums it up, right? So, what did Jesus do? He came to bear the wrath of God for you and I. That's why it's good news. That's why it's the gospel. So for whoever will reach out to Him and receive Jesus Christ by faith, He's made an atonement for our sin. Atonement means at one He's made us, He's given us the ability to be at one with Him. In Christ, according to Ephesians 1, is what makes us forgiven, redeemed, holy, righteous, without blame, Forgiven. The word lays it out for us in Ephesians 1. So that's how he's going to deal with sin. But the third thing, the last thing, he's going to set up his kingdom. That also involves three things. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Let me make this real simple. He is everlasting righteousness. So when it says he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness, that means what? He's going to be here. At the end of 77s, 400. And 90 years. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. That means God's going to be finished speaking. That's what Hebrews 1 1 is all about. God has finished what he's going to say through his son. Everything God has to say to us has been said through Jesus Christ. He's sealed up vision. That doesn't mean all prophecies are fulfilled, they all will be, but there's no more, there are no new ones coming. There's not another book. To be added to the Bible. It's complete. It's finished. It's sealed up. It's done. And he's going to anoint the most holy place. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So obviously some of these six things have occurred. Some of them haven't occurred. But they're all going to occur within 77s. Okay? So let's look at verse 25. The command that begins it all. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Mashiach Nagid. I just love saying that. The Messiah, the King, the Messiah, the Prince. (coughs) So, know this and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build what? Jerusalem. Okay, there's four decrees in the Bible historically that deal with the nation of Israel going back into the land. Remember Daniel? The people were all taken out of the land. They're in Babylon. And then the Babylonian kingdom fell and the Medo-Persian kingdom comes up. Well, during the Medo-Persian rule, there's going to be a king who's going to let the people go back. God said that was going to happen 150 years before he was born. God said Cyrus is going to let the people go back. But there are four commands to go back. And three of them all deal with building something particular. You know what that is? Three of them all deal with building the temple. One deals with building the wall and the streets. 
Three deal with go back and get the temple done, get the temple done, get the temple done. One is about the streets. And what does it say here? Which command do we want to look at? The command to restore and build Jerusalem, right? So that sounds like the city to me. And there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And listen, he describes it for us. The street will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So he, 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 he distinctly points our mind to two things, right? The street and the wall. Remember the streets, the plaza. The streets like the storefront, the place where they would all come do business. And you can't have that if you don't have a wall. Because if you don't have a wall, bad guys come steal all your stuff. Are you with me? If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, that's what those two books are all about. Ezra and Nehemiah, trying to build the temple while people are breaking in and stealing stuff and killing people. That's why it says they built with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. One command. So we don't have to get tricky. We just got to look at one. Four decrees. I'll give them all to you. If you you want them, if you ever decide you want the crazy notes, there are five million pages of notes on all this, just let me know. Okay, first decree. Cyrus, no temple, no wall. The temple's being built, no wall. 538 B.C. Darius confirms Cyrus's decree in 519. Artaxerxes makes a similar decree in 458 B.C. But the one we want, Artaxerxes Longimanus, on the 1st of Nisan, the Bible tells us, on the 1st of Nisan, which is March 14th, the year 445 B.C. That's the decree. So he says, you can know when the Messiah is going to be here, if you follow, if you, if you add this stuff up, and you go from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the streets, and the wall. Just to keep us from being confused, there's only one of those. So what was the coming of Messiah? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We see three divisions. Some people say, I don't know why you have any divisions in the 77s. What do you mean you don't know why? He says there will be seven sevens, 62 sevens, and that leaves one seven left. How many divisions is that? I didn't do it. The Bible did it, didn't it? There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That, means, that equals 69, so that means there's one more seven left. We see three divisions in the text that the Scripture lays out for us. So, when we take a look at it all, <coughs> it says there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks is about the time the Bible tells us it took them to build the wall. 49 years, the wall's built, the street is ready. And so 69 sevens takes us from that command to the Messiah, to the Messiah, the Prince. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Sir Robert Anderson, right? Everybody heard of Jack the Ripper, yeah? The guy who was investigating Jack the Ripper's name was Robert Anderson. He was knighted when he figured out how all the numbers worked in Daniel chapter 9. He presented it to the courts in England as irrefutable proof that Jesus was a Messiah. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. I happened to mention that. Thank you. I have several copies now. So if anybody needs one, I might be able to to hook you up as well. So it's, uh, but he kind of outlines all these things. Not going to go all into it again. If you guys want to check out the book, you can do that. But basically, 69 sevens, equals 483 years. And when we look at the 483 years, we use a biblical calendar. 
A biblical calendar, a prophetic calendar, uses 360 day years rather than 365. We come up with 173,880 days. What was our kickoff? March 14th, 445 B.C. Don't doze off, man. This is pretty cool. March 14th, 445 B.C., 173,880 days takes us to April 6th, 32 A.D. Now, you may, may be saying to yourself, well, how do we know April 6th, 32 A.D. has anything to do with any of the stuff that, that we've talked about? Well, okay. I didn't tell you this last time. Let's, let's briefly talk about that. How do we know April 6th, 32 A.D. is the day Messiah was presented as king to the people? It was a Sunday. We celebrate as what? Palm Sunday. We celebrate it as Palm Sunday. April 6th, 32 A.D. was a Sunday. So let's look at the scripture. Let's take a look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to just give you some dates, some numbers that uh, help bring around the time period so that we understand what's going on. John chapter 2 verse 20 says, Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Remember they were confused. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But they gave us some information here. How long did they say they'd been working on the temple? 46 years. You know, we know when they started? Yeah, we know that they started on the temple in 18 B.C. 46 years takes us to 29 A.D. 29 A.D. would have been the first Passover for Jesus. Based on the 46 years he gives us, it makes it the first Passover. Jesus is going to have three Passovers and die on the four in 32 A.D. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 3 verse 1. Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eritrea, the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. We read that and we go, wow, what do I need to know all that information for? Let's just skip that. Oh, well, let's not skip it because it said in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So that's another date for us, right? The 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. We know Tiberius Caesar's rule began August 19th, A.D. 14. Fifteen years would have made it. 29 A.D. First Passover of Jesus. In fact, if we look carefully from August, we can also discern the baptism of Christ from this scripture, which takes us roughly to November of 28. November of 28 A.D. puts us at the baptism of Christ. April 6, 32 A.D. puts us at the triumphal entry. And four days later puts us on the cross. The Bible tells us all. It lays it all out for us. No, look, the Bible's a book in history. You guys get that? This is not some random mix of stories that don't... 
You come with us to Israel. Come with us to Israel. We'll stay outside of Caesarea by the sea. And we'll look at this little stone. And you'll say, what's the importance of this stone? You know, once upon a time they used to say, there is no man called Pontius Pilate. We can't find any proof. And all of a sudden they're digging around out there and they come up with a stone that says, Tiberius Caesar and underneath his name, Pontius Pilate. Why? What did they do? They were building a, a, a palace at Caesarea by the sea. Both sitting there. Look, we know the times. We know the times. So when we come to Daniel 9 and we just run the clock backwards from what he said, it brings us exactly to where the Bible says Jesus was during the time. We also have a guy named Epiphanius who was the bishop of Cyprus. He wrote to us uh, in the late 4th, early 5th century, and he said that Jesus was baptized November of 28 B.C. All the numbers line up, guys. All the places we go dig show us the same things that the Bible's been telling us. And why is this all important? Why? What's the big deal? Look, the big deal is in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, Because you guys didn't know that this was the day I was going to come, the entire place is going to get wiped out. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. What happened? Israel, rebellious, rebellious, rebellious. They hear it, but shut it out. They hear it and shut it out. They harden their heart to the Word. They harden their heart to the Word. So God, He judicially hardens them. Now they can't see. Now they can't hear. You guys know the story of Pharaoh, right? Right? All the while, God was going to make sure that ten plagues happened in Egypt. So Pharaoh, there's going to be ten plagues. But what do we see in that? We see Pharaoh making choices to harden his heart. We see God judicially hardening his heart. All that leads ultimately to his judgment. Look, God don't have to give you 50 tries. You get that? You reject the gospel, reject the gospel, reject the gospel. God will make you blind, deaf, and dumb. So you won't call on his name. You won't listen anymore. You won't hear anymore. That's why it's important not to just turn a deaf ear to what God's word is laying out for us. So here's what he tells us. <clears throat> Remember in, in uh, Daniel 9.25, Therefore, understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that takes us to Jesus, right? April 6, 32 A.D., then what happens? Well, then we move ahead to verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be karat. Karat, like carrot with a K, with a little phlegm in there. <clears throat> that's how you say, <clears throat> that's how you speak Hebrew. You got to put some of that in. So, he is karat. He is cut off, put down, put to death. What's it say? Stay with me. We got seven weeks, the walls and the streets built. 62 weeks after that, total of 69, brings us to Messiah. But then there's a pause. What's the pause? After that, what's going to happen? Messiah is going to be killed. They're going to kill him. We just read Isaiah 53, right? Did he die for his own sins? That's not what Isaiah 53 says. He died for the sins of the people. What's it say in Daniel 9? 
After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but what? Not for himself. Not for himself. So when people ask me, what stops the clock? What stops the 77s that are rolling? What stopped it was was the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. What starts it again is verse 27. Verse 27 starts the clock again. There's two things that are going to happen in the gap. What's the two things? Messiah is going to be killed. What's the next thing it says? And the people of the prince or the king who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come will do what? Destroy the city. Now, do we historically know who destroyed Jerusalem? 70 AD, who did it? Rome, Titus Vespasian and the Roman legions utterly destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and it was destroyed all the way to 1948. That's a long time, right? Utterly obliterated. In fact, the Temple Mount became a dump. And it was a dump until um, a, a, a Muslim bought it and built the Dome of the Rock. Up until that time, it was the city dump. Nobody cared about it. That's how the Dome of the Rock got there. It didn't matter to anybody, and Israel wasn't a nation, so nobody really cared. Christians were building holy sites, but they didn't care about the Temple Mount. So, it was given over to the Muslim. So, it says that two things are going to happen. Messiah is going to be killed, and the city will be destroyed. Now, Messiah was killed four days later, right? So, four days. That's not a very long period of time. But Messiah was killed... Uh, April 10th, um, the city was destroyed. How many years later? 32 to 70. So 38 years later. You guys get that there's a pause there, right? There's a 38 year gap at least from the death of Messiah to the destruction of the city. So what's going to happen in 26? Messiah is going to die and the city is going to be destroyed. Now Jesus told them, why is the city going to be destroyed? Because you didn't know the day. How come they didn't know their day? God blinded their eyes. Why did God blind their eyes? Because they hardened their heart to God's word. If we harden our heart to God's word, we will be blind. Deaf. We won't see, we won't hear, we won't understand the things that are going on. We got to stay plugged in to understanding what it is that God is going to say. And what's it say? The last part of verse 26, the end of it will be like a flood, a dispersion. Flood comes in and washes all the garbage and spreads it everywhere, right? What happened to the Jews? The flood came through and did what? Spread them everywhere. There's a dispersion. Jews go everywhere, all the way around the world until 1948. Until the end, of the war, desolations are determined. Now, I'm going to say that this is not the war against Rome and Israel. I'm going to say this is the war between Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon represents the city of rebellion against God, and Jerusalem represents the people of God. And that war don't end until Jesus comes back. Until then, desolations are determined. What's that mean? Bad news. Has there been bad news lately? We're having a shortage of bad news? Bad things happening? 
Do you know that Jesus said in the last days, ethnos will rise up against ethnos. We, we, we define that as nation will rise up against nation. What it literally means is ethnic group will start fighting against ethnic group. That's not in the news today? Or is it only us? There was a, there was a city, or city, there was a country called Yugoslavia once. What tore them apart? Race wars. What about uh, Sudan? What tears it apart? Race wars. What about Rwanda? What tore it apart? Race wars. Jesus said in the last days, ethnos will rise up against ethnos. It's not something new, and it's certainly not something that only happens in the United States, just so you know. Ethnic group rising up against ethnic group. Until the end, desolations are determined. They are determined, and they're absolute. But then look, <coughs> Daniel 9.27. Look, we got lots of time. This is a piece of cake. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who's the he? Who's the he? This is going to divide most people who are what you would call premillennialist from post or amillennialist. Now, whenever you see the word he, just so you a little grammar for you, we go to the nearest antecedent. The nearest time a noun was used that it can go back to. Are you with me? The nearest one is, And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. Right? And then in verse 27 it says, He, it says, He, in verse 27, will confirm a covenant with the many for one week. So this is the other prince. It goes back to the other prince. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I'll draw a diagram if you want me to. The he goes back to the first prince. Some people want to say he goes back to the second prince. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Right? There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks until the Mashiach Nagid. That's the first prince. But then it says the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. Well, we know the people who was the people. Rome, right? So the prince of Rome, Jesus was not the prince of Rome, was he? No, so we got another he. We got another person in this play, right? We got another person in the play. Who's this new player? And when's the clock going to start again? He just told us in that first part of verse 27. He'll make a covenant with the many for one week. 69 weeks have happened. There's 70 weeks determined. How many are left? One, right? He will make a covenant with the many. The majority of the people in Israel will make a covenant with this king, this ruler, for seven years. When that happens, the clock starts. You only have seven years left. What do we call those seven years? Tribulation, Tribulation period. Those seven years are probably the most talked about seven years in the Bible. We know a lot about those seven years. We know a lot about what is happening and what's going on. So he will confirm a covenant. The covenant of this world leader is going to happen. When it does, the final countdown has begun. But the scripture tells us, look what it says. 
But in the middle of the week, so how long does his promise last? Three and a half years. Wow. Does that come up in the Bible? Three and a half years comes up all the time. In fact, from the middle of this seven year period to the end, this is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Or the great tribulation. The last three and a half year period. So what begins the clock? The Antichrist is going to make a deal with Israel for seven years. A seven year peace plan. He's going to do it. Now, we, we can discern a lot of things from this scripture. Look at it. He's going to, in the middle of the week, break it. How's he going to break it? He's going to put an end to what? What's it say? Sacrifice and offering. He's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. There is no sacrifice and offering right now. What does that mean? That means there's got to be another temple. No? Got to be another temple. When we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in about 3 or 4 minutes, you're going to see there's got to be another temple. Now you say, oh, oh people have been talking about temple forever. Come with me to Israel. We're going to walk right down the middle of downtown Jerusalem, which is a pretty, pretty cool place. And we're going to pass by this little building. And this little building, and inside the little building, will say the Temple Institute. And we'll pass through the Temple Institute. Hopefully we'll have time. And when we go through the Temple Institute, there, you're going to see they have everything built for the temple. They got all the parts, all the pieces, all the labors. Everything that is needed for a temple except for what? A temple. If they are not planning on building a temple, why do they have all that stuff? Why would you spend all... In fact, the crack up... Oh, I shouldn't. I'm going to do it anyway. The, there's this place in Jerusalem where, where we're going to see the menorah, the lampstand. Now, according to the Bible, the lampstand is made of hammered gold. Not molded gold, hammered gold. They hammer it into a light. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the light of the world. And what did they do to him? They hammered him. They didn't pour him in a mold. Remember, Jesus is a picture of everything in the temple. Everything that's a part of the tabernacle. Well, you go to that menorah today, and you ask them, Hey, did you guys hammer that menorah? You know what they say? No. So I said, how come you didn't hammer it? He said, we can't figure out how to do it. When we hammer it, the gold gets too soft and it won't stay. So we poured it. But you know that the Bible says, you know why the craftsmen knew how to do it back then? The Bible very clearly says that God gifted Belial with craftsmanship to build the things for the temple and the tabernacle. Today they're trying to put it all together without God. Yeah, God already came to the temple once. They didn't see him. The next guy who comes to the temple is not going to be God. He's going to come. Three and a half years, he's going to stand in there and he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, there's not just one. On the wing of abominations, there's a lot of abominations. What's an abomination? Something that's abhorrent to God. Is there any abominations going on currently? Yeah. On the wing of abominations, that means that not that the world's going to continue to get more and more godly, but that the world is going to continue to get more and more rebellious against God. 
Which do we see in reality? Okay, you guys with me? So we, we see this rebellion against God occurring. We see this rebellion taking place. <clears throat> so on the wing of abominations comes one that makes desolate. Alright, flipping your Bibles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Important section of scripture that we're going to look at and hopefully tie some of these loose ends together. So the 70 weeks, what's it tell us? That they're going to, from a decree, rebuild Jerusalem. That happened, Artaxerxes Longimanus, March 14th, 445 B.C. Daniel said 173,880 days from that, Messiah would come. What happened? Messiah came, April 6th, 32 A.D. Was rejected by the people, four days later was put on a cross, died. And the Bible tells us there would be a pause that was at least... 38 years long because the nation of Israel was going to be destroyed before the 70th week. What would start the 70th week? A peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Well, there's just one problem, guys. Israel ceased to exist in 70 AD. And they didn't exist again until 1948. That's a longer pause. You with me? Israel didn't exist until 1948. Any time since... 1948, someone could have made a seven-year peace plan with the nation of Israel and started the clock again. But what we know is, somewhere during that time, the temple's going to be built, and this guy is going to stand in it. This guy. Look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, Unless a falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. So the Thessalonians thought that everything had already happened and they had missed it all. So Paul says to them, look guys, it hasn't happened. That day won't come until there's a falling away, a mass apostasy. There's going to be a mass apostasy that takes place. There's going to be a falling away, and then... The man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay. That's never happened. You with me? Paul writes this around 58 A.D., some people would like to point this to Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about Antiochus a few weeks ago. He's a pre-runner, an example of what Antichrist is going to be like. There's just one problem. He's, Paul's talking about it as though it hasn't happened. He says, we'll know him when he sits in the temple. Now when Paul wrote that, there was a temple. But there's not a temple now. And Titus Vespasian, when he destroyed the city... He didn't sit in the temple and declare himself to be God. How did the temple get destroyed? A guy shot an arrow, a flaming arrow. It got into the window of the temple, caught the curtain on fire, and all that stuff started to burn. All those Roman soldiers are told that they can have whatever loot they can find. But that whole temple that was made out of gold everywhere melted. And all that gold melted between all the cracks of the stones. So how did they get to the gold? They overturned how many stones? All of them. What did Jesus say? Not one stone will be left on another. Not one stone. 
Nobody stood in the Holy of Holies and said, I'm God. That didn't happen. 2 Thessalonians says, that's how we'll know the Antichrist. So do me a favor. Stop sending me a bunch of emails how Obama's the Antichrist. I'll tell you when, I, I'll tell you when Obama or Trump or whoever is going to be the Antichrist. When they sit in the holy place and declare themselves to be God. That's how we'll know. Or they make a seven year peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That's how we'll know. Everything else just makes them a broken, messed up individual just like you and me. So, 2 Thessalonians says, this guy is going to sit in the temple showing himself to be God. Look at verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? So Paul taught this to the Thessalonians. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is restraining? Who restrains evil? Who restrains? Who is salt? Who is light? Who is the restraining force on earth today? The restraining force on earth today is the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the bogus church. I'm talking about a real church. What's in the church? What's in everybody within the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus said if he gave us the Holy Spirit, he'd take them away later when things got rough. No, what did he say? I will do what? Never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you orphans. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's yours. He's the guarantee that you're mine. But what does 2 Thessalonians say? He who restrains will do so until what? He's taken out of the way. He who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. So look, you don't got to believe in a rapture if you don't want to. You can be a pessimist and believe they're going to kill us all. That's all right. We'll be out of the way then. I choose to be a little more optimistic than that, but hey. The scripture lays out for us that he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So you know, part of of what I believe about end times, the reason we can't know the Antichrist is because nobody's going to know who it is until the church is gone. So stop. Poking at people and saying, that's the guy, that's the guy. When I was a kid, it was Kissinger. You guys remember that? When I was a kid, everybody said, Kissinger's the Antichrist, he's the Antichrist. Man, yes, I'm old. Most people are, most people are going, what's a Kissinger? Oh, they don't teach history no more. Okay, but listen to what's going to happen. Then the lawless one will be revealed... Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. So it's not a long battle. You guys get that, right? The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception, listen to this, among those who perish, wider are they perishing? Because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. What's that mean? That means, I believe that means, if you heard the gospel and you rejected the gospel, 
and the rapture takes place and the Antichrist is revealed and the final seven years start, you're going to be just as blind as the Jews were when Jesus came. That's why the Bible says, now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. He says, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. Why? I remember when I was a kid, I'd make goofy faces at somebody. And my mom would say, look, if somebody smacks you on the back of the head, your face will get stuck like that. (laughs) Anybody ever tell you guys that? All right. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't harden your heart or make goofy faces toward God in rebellion. Or... God's going to stick you like that. And that's a bad deal. He'll leave you like that. From what I read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's not a lot of guys that, that were at church that, you know, I, I know you guys all like the, or maybe you don't, but maybe you read the Left Behind books. Just because it's in a Left Behind book doesn't mean it's real. First. Right? And part of the story of the Left Behind books is these people who, who didn't receive all this time, now it's happened and now they're ready to believe. Well, that's not what we read through the rest of the Bible. What we read through the rest of the Bible is people hardened their heart, hardened their heart, hardened their heart, and then God said, you're done. Today's the day. Don't be hoping for some other commission or some other person to come through. We're the ones God's called to take the message. And we can't be looking for somebody else to do it. We, this is our time, man. It's our time. Look what it says. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. I call that judicial hardening. God will send them. Who? All those who didn't have a love for the truth. Those who didn't hear the truth. They're going to get it to hear the truth, right? We read the book of Revelation. The word of God's going to go around. Angels are going to proclaim it. 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams are going to take it to the four corners of the earth. It's going to go everywhere. But I think if you've hardened your heart to the gospel, it's up. Time's done. Why? Look at verse 12. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So that implies they heard the truth and didn't believe it. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the the lost are those who know there's a God, but suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The Bible says they know there's a God because God showed himself to them. He's evident in creation. There's no free pass. He's there. He's there. So, what does it say? The last seven years begins with what? A seven year peace plan. It's planted, it goes. What happens in the middle of that? Antichrist breaks it. How does he break it? He goes and stands in the temple and he says, I am God. And what did Jesus say to do if you're around when that happens? Get out of the city. He told him the same thing. In the Gospels, you have two different stories in the Gospels. In in Mark and Matthew, one that deals with the destruction of Jerusalem, and one that deals with this event in the end of days. And if that happens, he says, run. Don't get a coat. Don't stop and grab money. Run. Get out. Run as fast and as far as you can. If you're coming to us, you're coming with us to Israel, you have an opportunity to go to one of the places they think they're going to run to. What's that place called? Petra. It's a pretty awesome place. You get to go see where, where some 
uh, scholars believe that, that folks are going to run. So where does the multitude come from? In Revelation chapter 7, it says a multitude are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Where do they come from? They come from all those who haven't heard. All those who, who haven't heard the gospel. The Lord, He's going to uh, uh, bring forth uh, that opportunity for all of those. Now, Scripture lays out for us. He's going to do uh, several things. The Antichrist He's going to accomplish several things as He brings this, this deal together. He's going to remove temple sacrifices. He's going to <clears throat> rebel against God like never before. On the wing of abominations shall come one that makes desolate. If you remember when we were reading Daniel 7.25, <clears throat> and when we studied Daniel chapter 7, what did it say about him? Listen. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law. And the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Now, why do I say that that's not the church? It says the word saints. Because Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. But here the saints are given into his hand. What saints are it? Tribulation saints, man. People who come to faith post, post, after the rapture and the beginning of crazy destruction that comes on this world, that all starts with a final countdown of a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Now you're thinking, I don't know if I buy all this stuff. But let me ask you, there were guys who used to read Daniel who said the same thing. Ah, 62 weeks and 7 weeks, Messiah is not going to come like that. How'd he come? On the exact day. On the exact day. Look, the Word of God lays these things out for us. Not for us to fear, not for us to be afraid, not for us to to freak out, but that we can understand that all of this time is under God's control. It began and it's heading to a conclusion. And if you want to see what the conclusion is, It's in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 verse 19 tells us how it all winds up. How it all comes together. Revelation 19.19 says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Revelation chapter 19 begins with the return of Jesus Christ. He's riding white horse, coming to earth. And as he comes for that final battle, one of the first places we'll go when we're in Israel is to this mount. It's called Megiddo. And you're going to stand on Mount Megiddo, and it overlooks the valley. The valley is called Har. The valley of Megiddo. Har Megiddo. We call it what? Armageddon. Napoleon called it the world's perfect battlefield. And he said, this is where the final battle has to happen. And what's the final battle against? The Antichrist, all the kings of the earth. They've come to destroy Israel, but Jesus returned. So what have they decided to do? We're going to attack him and all his armies. Him and all his armies. It's interesting so many things. 
Revelation chapter 1 begins with the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Revelation 2 and 3 then are seven letters to seven churches. The church is prominent in the first three chapters of Revelation. And then what happens to the church? It's gone. You don't see the word again until Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns with his saints. Where was the church all that other time? Where did they go? Well, it depends on how you read Revelation chapter 5. Because Revelation chapter 5, it says there's this great innumerable host in heaven that are singing the song of the redeemed to Jesus Christ. And if that's the church, that's why they're not here. They're in heaven, singing praises to their Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look at Revelation 19. So the kings and their armies gathered to make war against him. They sat on the horse and against his army. Then the, then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed. With the sword which proceeded out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. See, Jesus don't need us. We're not going to have to show up to that fight packing. Why? Colossians says this. He is the creator of all things. Jesus Christ made it all. Everything that was made. Every single thing there is. Jesus made it all. And the Bible says, in Him, all things consist. What's that mean? Jesus is holding it all together. He's holding it all together. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen is, on that battlefield, He's going to let go. You get it? If Jesus is the one holding everything together, the sword of His mouth, the word that brought creation together, is just a word that takes creation together. Apart. And then they were cast into Tartarus, a lake of fire created for the devil and his angels. Now it wasn't created for any of you. It don't keep you out, but it wasn't made for you. What was made for you was the gospel. The gospel was made for you that Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God for you and I so that we wouldn't have to stand before the wrath of God, but rather before a heavenly Father who loves us like His own Son. That's what the 70 weeks of Daniel put together. And if we can understand and comprehend those things, the book of Revelation begins to open up like a flower. And in about three weeks, I'm going to start opening up that flower on Wednesday nights. So if you guys want to check it out, I'm on uh, Psalm 145, five psalms to go. I gave myself three weeks to do it. I should be able to pull that off, right? I think I can do it. So, so that's the plan. Thus ends Daniel chapter 9. Amen? Amen? Why don't you guys stand with us? Let's pray. Just in case... Before we pray, anybody has questions? I'm always here. 
So if you're patient, you can come up and ask. Uh, if you're impatient, you can come back <laughs> sometime during the week. But I love talking about it, and I'd be more than happy to try to answer your questions if you have any. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to study Daniel chapter 9. And we're thankful for the, the stories and the, and the prophecies yet to come in Daniel chapter 10 as we move forward. Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us, God, to see that the Bible is a book of history written in real time, real players, real events. We can go stand at the places where they stood. We can sit beside the thrones where the kings ruled. We can walk the streets where these events took place. They happen. They're real. God, you have a purpose in it all. But God, your word declares to us, not that your goal is the destruction of the wicked, though that day will come, but that the wicked would repent and live. So therefore, Jesus Christ has commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe. To repent and believe. Today is the day. Now is the time. To put our faith, our trust, our hope in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, I pray if there is anybody here doesn't know that you are the Redeemer. That doesn't understand the Gospel. That they would not leave this place without understanding those things. God, that they might cry out. For your word declares, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, we pray that you would do a perfect and, and complete work here. And God, that you would ignite us. This is our time. It's, we shouldn't be looking for some other time or some other person to do the job you've called us to. And what is that job? To as many people as we can. Because if I'm right, there's no second chance. This is the time. This is the chance. God, we pray that you would give us a burden for the lost, a desire to reach those with the gospel, an understanding and a comprehension of what your word teaches so that we can come to know that you are I am. You are everything we need, everything we long for, everything we lack. It is all found in a relationship with you. God, I pray by your spirit and in this place, you would show yourself the great I am, mighty to save. We give you all the praise and the glory for what you have done and continue to do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.